you've got one of the handouts, on the left-hand side, there's a section titled Redemptive Community. Um, the last few weeks, we've been in our series called Core Values, and we've been talking about the core values that we hold to as a church and that we hold ourselves to and one another. Those being the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the authority of his word, and redemptive community. And last week, we finished up with redemptive community, and then this week, and then next, following through with, okay, so if those are our core values, what are the elders' role? What's the, the shepherds, the pastors, whatever you want to call us, what's our role in supporting and heading after and um, shepherding, stewarding our church towards these core values? What are those? That's what we're going to talk about this week. And then next week, your job. What's our job together as a church? How do we head in this direction and keep ourselves oriented to our true north. So this is pulled out of our uh, redemptive community covenant document. When people say, hey, this is a group of people that I want to belong to. I want to be accountable and be held accountable to this group. You've been around long enough to know what we look like, good, bad, and the ugly. I'm in. I'm here. I'm committed. And so we together we talk about this and then pronounce this together. And so I just wanted to read it. And for those of you who want to join us, please feel free. We purpose, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and love, to promote its fruitfulness and spirituality, to attend its services regularly, to sustain its worship, ordinances and doctrines, to submit to its discipline and the authority of its officers, to give it a sacred preeminence over all institutions of human origin, to give faithfully of time and talent in its activities, to contribute cheerfully and regularly as God has prospered us, to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, to the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel throughout all nations." We also purpose to maintain family and private devotion to the Lord, to train our children according to the Word of God, to seek the salvation of our family and neighbors, to walk carefully in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our conduct, to abstain from all activities, habits, and lifestyles that dishonor our Lord Jesus Christ, cause stumbling to a fellow believer, or hinder the gospel witness, to be zealous in our efforts to advance the cause of Christ our Savior and to give Him preeminence in all things. We further purpose to encourage one another in the blessed hope of our Lord's return, to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feelings and courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation. I'm a little hesitant to, uh, to offer up my excitement and what that stirs up in me, because I also know in my 20s and 30s I'd have read that. And... But man, the older you get, you start realizing how important it is to be long and to have friends, and they're not very 
uh, true often, and they're seldom, and they're few and far between, and to have a good friend that loves me enough and wants the best for me. To be committed to people and have people committed to me. This is no weak, trifling, yawning moment. This is so good. And it takes all of us. And one of the phrases we've used over and over in our leadership meetings, our elder meetings, is every member ministry. How do we get there? How do we keep growing? How do we strive for that? It's not the elders doing something to you. We are to use our gifts to serve the body. We are a gift to the body. We'll hear that in a minute. And so are you. And we get to this place full on together. Thankful for that. Church, we were made to worship. I mean, really, I want you to think about that. We were made to worship. And I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about every person on the planet. It's built in. Proof. Football games. NASCAR races. Basketball games. X games. Monster truck events. Restaurants. Soccer teams. Soccer games. Remember one time we were in Telluride and we, um, we had taken the gondolier up to the top of Telluride. I don't know much about soccer. I played it once when I was a kid and I thought, this is a lot of running for a little bit of ball touching, so I was out. Um, but it was the World Cup and we were sitting in a little pizza and if you've ever, it's like all these hotels and condominiums and they face the center courtyard and there's little games and mini golf and we're eating pizza and, and then all of a sudden, literally... All of the condos in the apartments erupted. It was like we were at a concert. What happened? What happened? And the bartender just said, oh, uh, they, Brazil just scored a goal in the World Soccer Cup. Symphonies, baseball games, UFC or boxing events, music concerts, even operas, symphonies, movies. I remember Rocky II in 1979. Rocky and Apollo Creed are going for the title, the second time, and the movie erupted. People were on their feet in a movie, cheering. My mother being the loudest, okay? <laughs> Tens of thousands of people, millions collectively, on any given season, joyfully and energetically going berserk for the glory of their team or hero. What is that all about? Why is that? What gets us so excited about something doing, somebody doing so much out there and us doing nothing here, but it stirs something up in us, a tenacity, true? What is that? Church, we were made, everybody was made to worship. There's something built into us that longs to worship. There's a mysterious joy and enthusiasm we get when our team or hero triumphs. When good overcomes evil, when justice is served. Even, even after our experiences, think about how it goes. You go, 
remember going one time to a fight event with a bunch, with a bunch of buddies, and then afterwards, that was awesome. Do you, you, you remember? That was fantastic. And did you see that thing that happened? Or do you remember when the ref stepped in? And you're still, you're regaling with your friends. You're trying to relive and extend the moment. Did you see that time when? Do, do you remember? I couldn't believe it when. That was awesome. Remember the scene? Glory was there, but joy and enthusiasm was here. Why is that? Because we were made to worship. Some people think worship in heaven will be boring. I certainly did when I was a kid. But church, if you've ever cheered at a sporting event until your throat goes hoarse, or felt the exhilaration and rumble of the bass at a rock concert, or felt 750 horsepower engines screaming around a track, and when your cheers joined the torrent of 70,000 additional voices, you've begun to experience a small, little tiny taste. The joy that wells up in you, that causes you to want to scream and cheer and turn to your friend and say, This is unbelievable! That energy, that part of heaven. This cheering for our hero in heaven when justice is finally served, evil is defeated, we are free, and King Jesus sits on his throne once and for all and forever. So let's personalize this for a moment. It's really important that we do that so it doesn't just stay out there, right? Or up here. Do you know why parents break out into fights at kids' sports games? Have you seen that? I just watched a video online, uh, two girls' softball teams and two dads, and then next thing you know, there's like 15 dads in an all-out brawl behind home plate. It was better than the softball game, but... Why is that? Because they're personally invested. This is personal. Now take your favorite hero or team. Imagine your fate is tied to their victory or defeat. I always wondered when I was a kid, why, why wouldn't they decide world wars with like Olympics and teams so less people get killed? We just turn this whole thing into a sporting event and then winner take all. Can you imagine your fate being tied to your hero or your team's victory or defeat? Can you imagine your safety, your security, your money, your resources, your kids all hindering on your hero's, your protagonist's victory? Can you imagine what that anticipation would be like? What that stadium would be like? Can you imagine your life or death contingent upon a W? You've been poorly treated, you've been slandered, you've been misrepresented, and your vindication, your justification is on the burden of your team. Your eternity hangs in the balance of someone else's performance. Hello? And then imagine it looks like hope is lost, you're down numerous points, you're facing defeat, your team is behind And at that moment when hope was slipping with a surge of power and perfect execution, 
victory is secured in decisive fashion, what do the cheers look like? What level of enthusiasm does that produce? What does the crowd sound like when that transpires and takes place? Yeah? It's hard for us. It's good for us to ponder it. Revelation 19 gives us a bit of insight. The revelator John says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude of heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. What's happening here is John saying he's watching a whole crowd of people that just realized all sin, all difficulty, all pain just got completely shut down. That evil person that was taking over the world and prostituting everybody, her whole kingdom just went up in smoke. And the, the, the sound is erupting in this loud, multitudinous volume that is insurmountable. Yes, I just did make up volutumness. I don't, we, might, we might spell check that, but I'm pretty sure it's my word. So, And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants, And once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures all fall down and they worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice. This is an invitation. This is akin to somebody getting on the microphone and saying, Hey, everybody! Did you see this thing? And he's inviting the crowd. And this is what we see going on here. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice out of the great multitude. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Lord, help us to grasp this just a little bit more. And then when we walk the corridors after this event, now I'm imagining that was the word, thus saith the Lord, this is thus thinketh Rob. Okay? So dream with me for a minute. But afterwards, we're walking the quarter the quarter corridors of King Jesus' kingdom and will regale with fellow believers. Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember how lost I was? Do you remember how undeserving? Do you see that time? Do you remember when I had completely wanted to head this way and he rescued me and brought me into this way? Could you believe it? Do you see it, church? The glory is there, but the joy and the enthusiasm in here, that's what heaven's going to be like. We were made to worship. Why is this discussion on worship, you might be asking, when we're considering the role of an elder in the church? Rob's in the ditch again. No. Why are we on this topic? Because worship of God is the end game for which we are participating and preparating right now. Worship is the end game for which we are participating and preparing now. As we look forward to then. And in the book of Ephesians, the Bible, Paul uses another term and he says, filled with the fullness of Christ. 
he's taking this word worship and he's stretching it and then he's making it bigger. Filled with the fullness of Christ. It's where we're going, church. It's where we are. And God provides gifts to the church to ensure we can get there. God gives gifts to the church so that we can stay on that mission. Making much of Christ, He is supreme, or guided by His authoritative word, and we are becoming a, in a redemptive community by which He indwells us. Hello? Indwells us here through His Spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Now we have walked through this passage all the way through from chapter 3. Now we're starting in verse 11, if you haven't been with us. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So if you're paying attention and highlighting, I'd encourage you to circle the two fours to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up of the Christ. That's, the, that's what he's given the gifts for until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to, he's given these gifts for the church to head in a specific direction, and here's where we're going, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's two fours and two twos, circle those both. He's given the apostles and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers for the work, equip, for equipping the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ to mature manhood and the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What Paul is saying is that's why leaders were given to the church. For the fullness of the stature of Christ. So what does that mean? This is not the first time we have seen this word fill. In chapter 3, verse 19, Paul says, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then in verse 10 of chapter 4, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. The idea here is for Christ to permeate every aspect of his people, a true fullness, as they come together. Church, that's worship. You with me? He's filling. Remember those old Play-Doh machines? You'd put the stuff in, and then you press that little lever, and the Play-Doh would come out. This is this picture. He's packed in there so tight, you touch, and out comes Christ. It's a full it's a fill to the full. We might paraphrase by saying that Christ so identifies with the church that he fills it completely, and the church so identifies themselves with Christ that they are full of Christ. And so turning back to chapter 4, verse 13, the fullness of Christ, Paul is saying that the church is fully saturated fully relating to, fully embodying Christ's presence in the world, in our community. 
Church, I believe this is happening. I see it happening. But as we keep our target set on the supremacy of Christ, we get to know Him by the authority of His Word, and we've got to start by loving one another and treating each other like we've been treated and like we really believe the Bible, that it really is authoritative, that we start to become this, this redemptive community that actually impacts this place that we live. It's happening. putting Jesus' attributes on display to the world. Come and see. Come and be full. Be filled to the full. Let's worship. If we return to Paul's prayer for the church, for us, chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees, that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then a little later, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in us the church. And God gave gifts. He gave people, the apostles and the prophets, His word, His historical word, and shepherds and teachers present to make sure that we were living and heading in the direction of being filled with the fullness of God. So if you were to ask a one-sentence statement. Rob, what's the purpose of the elders? It's to facilitate and help us to be filled with the fullness of Christ. That we so identify ourselves with Him that we take on His identity, His character, His values, His desires. And there's a manner and a method to how elders and pastors apply their gifts that they've been given to the church. And the manner is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. And then the method, we're going to continue to look at Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16, but let's jump into first the manner. This is actually written by Peter. And Peter makes an exhortation to the leaders, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for, sh- not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will also receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the manner in which leaders, shepherds, are to shepherd. This is the way pastors are to pastor. 
And Peter presents the idea of the church as God's flock, a group of living beings in need of care and direction and protection. And Peter's, Peter's admonition is to shepherd this group, leaders. Those of you who have been gifted to the church, lead well. We've got to remember, too, Peter's penning these words, and he's got to be remembering and recalling the fact that he was shepherding himself by Christ. How did, how did Christ shepherd me? How gentle, how kind. And so when Peter is going through these very verses... I mean, think about what he's saying. Shepherd the flock, exercise oversight, but not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, but being examples. He's recalling his shepherding from Christ. And then he is exhorting the elders to shepherd in this very same manner, exercising oversight and providing sightedness see the goal see what the goal is but also see your sheep we've talked about this as a church before we don't want as an elder team we don't want to be four miles ahead just about 10 steps we don't want to be over the hill and not know where you are but be having some big amazing vision that's completely disconnected from the sheep because we can't see them and so we regularly pray lord we don't want to be four miles we just want to be 10 steps ahead So help us to that end. That we would do this not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for gain, but eagerly. Not domineering, but by example. What's interesting also in this passage is that Peter introduces this, and you who are younger, he's talking actually to the younger men, be subject to the elders. If you see what's happening here, he's saying... Clothe yourselves with humility. Now that's for everybody. But be subject to the elders. And you who are younger, young men who make humility their identity and respect authority and accept wisdom out of virtue will be qualified to lead the church when their time comes. Because if the shepherds and the leaders are doing their job, we are submitting to Christ. That requires humility and a desire to follow after someone else. And so Peter says, young men, start now. Get yourself used to coming under somebody so that when you're under the yoke of Christ, you know what it feels like because you've been there. And so here's a you've heard this before, we have a statement that we read every time we get together as a leadership team. And here's one excerpt. How do we lead? What's the manner? What's the tone in which we lead? And we read this together and then we talk about it. We do this by paying attention to what God is doing in our flock and attending to the needs and necessities with shepherding care, striving in this work to be examples of the ministry that we are to equip the church to do bearing burdens with gentleness and vision, shepherding hearts while helping with circumstances, patient teaching and instruction, stewarding resources, and creating a culture of disciple-making and every member ministry. That's our hope. That's the manner in which the shepherds and the elders should be leading 
Vine and Branch Church. So that's the manner. And then Paul talks about the method. And so again in Ephesians 4, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge in the Son of, of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes its body, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so we see here that pastors and elders, their job is to equip the saints for the work. This word equip means to mend nets. The leaders of the church aren't the ones doing all the work. This 80-20 rule that we see in the church and we hear so often publicized in periodicals and on the internet, there's 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. That is not Christ's model for the church. The leaders are not to do the work for the saints, but equip them to do the work. This equipping has to do with preparing or putting right or restoring, helping the church to do the work. They're to build up the body, preserve unity of the faith, keep us focused on the absolutes. We've said this before. In essentials or absolutes, unity. In non-essentials or convictions, liberty. And in all things, charity. We have to keep the main things the main thing, church. We've spent an awful lot of time talking about these last few months when our world is going haywire and so many people are accusing other people and getting stuck on these peripheral issues and arguing over and over about things that don't matter. We have to stay on the essentials. And that is a significant job of the leadership team. We're going to stay out of the weeds and we're going to focus on Christ and living him out. Because we can know a bunch of the Bible and do nothing about it. And that's called disobedience. Preserve, preserving unity of the faith until we all obtain to the knowledge of the Son of God. Attaining knowledge, this teaching of the word and teaching the church how to teach themselves the word. Uh, Luke had a wilderness corps opportunity and the dads were able to walk around and boys are whacking each other with swords and camping and it was a really fun time. Dads are standing around and we're talking. And I said, you know, one of the really good things about teaching the church the word is here recently when something had come up and it was a little bit askew, then the, then the church comes back to the elders and says, is this teaching right? Can you help me? And this is what we need to be doing. This is the way we keep ourselves in check, church. The leaders teach, and then the body 
studies and then comes back to the leaders and says, can you help me understand what it is you're teaching? And Paul says, you want to do that so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine that comes across Facebook and Instagram. That you ought to know enough to go, that's not true. And I'm turning that off. And that's not worth believing. And that argument's not worth my time. And I'm not getting involved in that. You ought to know how to do that based on the way that we're teaching and leading. So equipping and building and preserving and attaining the knowledge of God inoculates the church against immaturity and vulnerability. Not in danger. And church leaders are to apply themselves and all the resources of their gifts to this end. This cultivates maturity and fills to the fullness of Christ. So as the shepherds and elders of Vine and Branch in particular here use their gifts, and then the church uses their gifts in return, and we're going to talk about that next week, what happens is when everybody is bringing their gifts, when everybody is applying this and speaking truthfully to one another, and we're applying Christ and we're being filled to the fullness and we're applying that to one another in our relationships and we're treating one another accordingly and people outside, Paul says this is what happens. The whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Or again, as Paul said earlier in chapter 2, verse 19, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Let me back up, church. I'm going to read this to us. Okay, Vine and branch. Together, we are fellow citizens with each other and members of God's household. And we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. Jesus is supreme. The prophets and the apostles, his word is authoritative. And upon his word and upon Christ, this whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Vine and branch, you also are being built into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. And that happens as we say, I want to follow the supremacy of Christ by the authority of his word and do my part in being a redemptive member of this community. And the elders are gifted to do that in a very specific way, and so are you, church. May we do that together. And Father, we need your help to these ends, and we trust that as we continue to unpack your word, and as a leadership team, we head in this direction that we will have the prayers of our people, and that together we will use our gifts to make much of you, to truly worship you. 
to be filled with the fullness of Christ until everybody knows that you're the true king. In that we pray, amen.